Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Okay, are you ready? I am. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Deepak Tiwari. He's the founder and CEO of Privately, which he founded in 2014 after 17 year work stint in telecom and information security industries, where he worked with companies like Ericsson and Kodelsky in diverse roles, business development, product management, sales, and corporate development. Privately was founded to empower ordinary web users to exercise their right of privacy and to control their digital footprint using usable technology. The technology since developed has been found especially suitable for online safety and the well-being of children who increasingly feel the impact of digital media. Privately's technology has since found favour with various stakeholders linked to online safety of children and Deepak has been invited to present this technology at the likes of Interpol, European Parliamentarians and the Duke of Cambridge at Buckingham Palace. Originally trained as an electrical engineer with an MBA and IMD Lausanne, Deepak was recently awarded an honorary PhD by the International University of Geneva in recognition for his contribution to online safety for children. Having worked and lived in five countries, Deepak now lives in Lausanne with his wife and two young children. So, welcome to the podcast, Deepak. And and obviously, we're, we're going to get started with the question that I'm asking everybody, which is, why do you do what you do? So um, as, you re- as you described in my bio- biography, I, I had a long stint in <coughs> industry in telecoms, and particularly in internet security. And, uh, and a bulk of what I was doing around, was around protecting contents of large labels. It had me thinking of who is mm. protecting the content of you and me as mm. we increasingly start to become uh, broadcasters. And that was the starting point of a thinking around could we use technology and the tools that are at our disposition to then safeguard people's data? That was the starting point of the te- of, of the whole idea. Yeah. But, but more but more narrowly, it, it stemmed from a personal incident where where an acquaintance, a child that I knew, had posted a picture of herself on Instagram. And it was a harmless picture, but she started getting a negative engagement on that picture. And she had she was so young, she did not know how to deal with it. Yeah, And it took a while before her family and everyone else discovered the reason of her unhappiness. It had me thinking that it was so easy to post something online, but it was so difficult to manage who's seeing it, how it's being engaged with, and how to take it off. Mm. Really, the, the company started with the idea of the right to be forgotten. I am the master of my data. If I'm posting something, I have the right to take it off as well. So that's where the DNA of the company and a lot of the technology that we've developed is around the identification of personal information and giving the ability to the end user, in this case, a child, to be able to then really delete this information from have, after having posted it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you invented IOTI, which is a personal safety assistant. So would you, would you like to discuss, talk about that? And obviously, I will interject with questions along, along the way. Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, the, the, the subject of privacy, it's also sometimes it's nice to have. Everyone wants privacy, but how do you use privacy? How do you manage your digital footprint without, it, without the whole um, exercise coming in the way of the normal way you interact with technology. Mm-hmm. 
the if you are if you have to use a certain um, let's say a new application or or a new way to interact with Facebook or Snapchat, you probably will not use that because it comes in the normal way of how you interact with this technology. OYT is a personal digital safety assistant, which takes which has a completely different take on online safety. It sits in the background and uses machine learning, so it's really looking at. Uh, it's looking at a broad range of markers. It's looking at how the child is engaging with their phone. It's looking at how the child is engaging with social media. It's looking at how the child, um, wh whether they are using the phone day or night. It takes a, and, and creating a wholesome picture of the well-being of the child online. And what we do with this information is then communicate with the child. The, this is not meant to be a snooping tool, but it's, it's mm. meant to be a Fitbit, really. Um, a, a safety assistant, a little owl on, on the child's shoulder, if you will, mm -hmm. telling the child and not just telling the child, but helping them in case of uh, the threats and the risks that they encounter online. For example, if they've been online way too long, their sleep is being interfered with, then they need the guidance, someone to tell them. And it's not always the parents who can be around or even the so here, using AI we, and machine learning, we now have the possibility to have the intelligence in the phone itself to, to, to guide the child around usage of technology with the eventual idea that they will have a positive relationship with online media. Yeah, yeah. As, as you were talking then, Deepak, um, I, was, uh, I was having what we call a moment of remembering and um, the, the term owl kind of taps into how I work with children. So when I'm talking to them about how their brain works, I actually use the metaphor of the, the, the areas called the prefrontal cortex about being a wise owl and the moment of um, stop, think, and then exactly. do what we think. And, and actually, my prefrontal cortex, if we're going to talk about this, was definitely not under um, in any inhibitory kind of control when I first met you. If you mm -hmm. remember, I think uh, um, Giddy Kipper might be a way of describing how I, <laughs> how I saw this technology and actually... This is, this is what I'm really interested in. So this is about giving children that moment to stop, reflect, consider their actions, and then do with their data as they then consider the, the implications and the actions and the consequences. So it, it actually gives them time to stop and reflect. And, and to add to it, it gives them the agency mm. to do something with it. For example, um, let, let's take a real life example. Um, my I'm a little kid and my dog is lost. So I put a picture of the dog on public uh, yes. Facebook or Instagram and say, and put in my phone number, please, please tell me if you find my dog. Right? So uh -huh. that is a very personal information. And, 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 it's, and as far as a 10-year or 11-year-old is concerned, it's also harmless. But, but what we can do as, as, um, as the intelligence in the, in the phone is we are able to pick that information up relate to the child that you that they might want to reconsider putting their phone number in a public domain they might or they might restrict it to friends or friends of friends for example yeah? yeah so it's it's identification of a problem but also giving the child the agency to then deal with it so so um, what the tool is really able to do is then to to, to guide the child to act to physically go very quickly in one step into instagram or wherever mm -hmm. and change who can look at their post, for example? Yeah. So, so beyond just identification of problems, it's it's really the the the, the big opportunity here is to give that resource to the child in real time. Mm -hmm. So then they are able to 
to to deal with the situation, but also in the longer term have like like you rightly said, you know, getting that um, that the, the sort of remembrance, the the the, um, the the feedback that this might not be a very clever thing to do for the next time. So they learn by making mistakes. So here it's almost like crossing a road. So you have to cross the road eventually. It's, yes. you, just need to be you just need to be guided to look left and right and look out for the yellow lines where you cross the road from. Yeah. Exactly, this is exactly the metaphor that I like to draw here. Yeah, and, and I'm hearing the, the kind of, it's gentle education rather than, I think you, your term snooping tool yeah. is probably how a lot of um, technology is used at the moment. So, um, you know, over the, over the time that we've known each other, we've, we've seen lots of applications that are brought out with the best of intentions to help a child. Yeah. But what does happen is then it's used as a, a punitive measure. That, um, so I've noticed lots of children who come into the therapy room can have their internet turned off by parents because the parent has the app that allows them to do that. And mm. it's used as a, almost a punishment. And I'm hearing that Oyoti is, is obviously I know about Oyoti, so I'm just talking to the audience here, that Oyoti is a way that children can be educated without it being punitive, humiliating, uh, distressing. And it's, it's more about education around now you've made the mistake Here's how you can rectify it as quickly as possible. Absolutely. So there is nothing in OIT around prohibition, yeah. which, which also comes back to my original point that if you, if you come in the way of any user's way in which they interact with technology, you're actually <coughs> dissuading them from using the tool. Mm -hmm. so, so our, and also from a privacy and guidance point of view, it doesn't feed very well into, into the kind of consultative role that, that OIT has. So OIT is really in the background. It's it's looking at at how the child is interacting, finding out if they're getting just as an example, if they're getting bullied. Sometimes it's just banter, mm -hmm. but then OIT has a conversation with the child to understand if it's bullying or banter. And if it is bullying, then it gives them the tools to actually either mute the user, block the user, or report the bullying even anonymously if they have to. So mm -hmm. all of those. All of those tools, um, I, I, since you talked about the other tools uh, which, are, which exist, you know, the, the thing is, if your tool is, is made for parents to then monitor a child's use, it, it is a different mindset but because what you're yeah. inherently doing is monitoring. In our case, we are just trying to provide the, all, this, all the monitoring that we do is from a point of view of then providing the right resource for the child. Yeah. So, um, and then... What we are seeing is this is even if you look at the Children Commissioner's report from January, one of from January, early January this year, one of the things she mentions in her report again and again is the stark lack of tools meant for children, which could give them some agency. Yeah. And 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 so this is the the gap that we we see ourselves fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, so where, where do you see this tool going? Because obviously I could stay with the uh, autonomy and agency for yeah. uh, because that's obviously the principle that underpins uh, my work with, with children. Yeah. Where do you see this tool going and where, where do you see it growing? What, what do you see as being the advantages that, that children can learn to? Um, I don't know, I'm just thinking about will children feed back into this? In fact, let's just keep it really simple. I'll just stick with the first question. Where do you see this going? So there, uh, so in uh, my uh, my my main consideration at this time is is to have it deployed at scale. You know, today we have mm -hmm. we have smaller trials, and we are uh, what we are hoping to do is then have um, 
bringing enough hooks to then make it more and more useful to children. So what we are seeing is that then this evolves from a simple um, safety tool to a more of a well-being tool. Because if you, if you look at how the, how, what the data science is able to do, it's able to pick many markers. For example, it's able to pick markers on how you interact on social media, not just what words you use, but what is, are you feeling all right? We are asking ourselves the question. How do you feel? Are you feeling happy? Are you feeling sad? If you, if you bridge in other things, like if you tie it up to your screen use or whether you're checking your phone at night, which might, which might point towards sleep deprivation, it gives us an overall picture of well-being. Yeah. On, on the back of that well-being, I think what's, what's most important at this stage um, is to understand if children are feeling well online. And if they are not, what, what sort of tools can be given to them? Sometimes the tool might be as simple as giving them uh, uh, reasons to put down the phone and do something outside, right? Yeah. yeah. And so so um, I think the, the whole industry at this time has, there, there, are, there are various various factions, if you will, in the industry with their mm-hmm. own set of beliefs about how children are either feeling very empowered online or are being abused, abused or are, fe- are completely addicted. Uh, so for us, it's, for, we are no wiser than the rest of the industry there. What we are hoping to do is mm. once we have um, deployments and we are on, on route to having some deployments, we will get a bigger picture of how children are actually feeling online. And it will help us answer bigger questions. What can we do to make them feel better? And I, ho- I hope that will also feed into some of the bigger questions of policy uh, that, are, that are being actively debated, particularly in the UK yeah. around the use of devices and the use of social media. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, there's a couple of things, again, going through my head whilst you were talking. So we've got, um, obviously, next year, the rule, ruling coming in around GDPR and the, the fact that children over the age of 13 will be able to decide what happens with most of their data. And I say most because there's going to be little nuances around it. And obviously, that's going to have an impact on how children use apps, um, the, the international ages of consent around what apps are. So at the moment, there's a lot of confusion Um so I'm just thinking about this is this actually enables the children to make those decisions before the age of 13 and post 13, which which kind of fits with this uh, ruling that's coming in. Um, so how, how do you see GDPR ruling when it comes in next year affecting kind of any of the decisions that happen around um, the data that's held about children or how IOT will work? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Uh, particularly because we started off, as I told you, with the with the idea of giving um, giving the end user, in this case a child, the ability to to exercise the right to be forgotten, which is probably one of the most um, you know crucial parts of the whole GDPR. Yeah. What happens with uh, the the truth today is that seventy five percent of the users uh, in that bracket, I mean, uh, of twelve year olds, actually use some kind of social network. So most of them are using some, some kind of... So what, what we are hoping to do is even... Uh, so we, we are not exactly making a distinction between whether a 13-year-old is using the social network or a little bit earlier they're using... We are, we, are, we are trying to give them the flexibility and the, uh, the tools irrespective of when they are using. That is very much a decision. Mm-hmm them and their families and it also reflects the reality on the ground which is much more younger yeah. children are actually using. What we are hoping to do is 
use an use largely an educational intervention to for them to make sense of how their data is being used, also to make them aware of what is personal data. Because you know, it's so. Um, I give you an example of a school name. What what the, what our technology is also able to do is to pick out if you've left your school name online, for example. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's some that's not if you if you. It doesn't necessarily categorize as personal data in GDPR terms because it's it's not identifiable. But it definitely it goes into the in, into a broader uh, hill of understanding what is private data and where it should be shared. Yes. So with with the GDPR, it be it will become mandatory for a lot of applications and a lot of um, um, well, pretty much everyone across the board to then give give its users, including children, mm -hmm. ways and means to manage their digital footprint. Yeah. And there I see that the, the underlying technology that we have is possibly useful to a range of other providers. Yeah. And we are actually in talks with some of them, particularly uh, equipment manufacturers, uh, OEMs and, and, and uh, OS providers. So uh, I think some of what we've developed will be, will, you, we, we hope to, to, to be able to deploy some of that through these uh, the web players as well, mm. and we we will almost have um, you could imagine a a version of uh, the underlying technology which could be plugged into any web service, which helps both identification of personal data, but also inappropriate inappropriate images, uh, you know, yeah. text and so on and so forth. So all of that, which which you could club both under privacy as well as inappropriate sharing, all of that and um, and if you see that as a technical block, we will be able to offer that to a number of web providers. Mm. I'm, I'm just thinking about the actual application of your, your tool here, uh, Deepak, is perhaps this is what we should have been teaching in schools um, many years ago. And actually, it's now, uh, it seems that this is like post-apocalyptic, because this is where most people tend to see this, the cyberspace, isn't it? It's apocalyptic and it's going to kill you and all of the other myths that we have. There's, there's something around... This is now educating children into taking care online after making a mistake, how they can then rectify it. I'm just thinking about if uh, if there's parents and teachers uh, listening or watching this podcast, what what do you think they need to know about the kinds of behaviours that children engage in, what what IoT will work with, and what what they can do to help children. So, um, I think the, the the first thing is. Children have a have a diverse set of things that they do online, and, mm -hmm. and and a lot of them, like you rightly pointed out at the beginning of the conversation, mirrors what they would do in real life. So they are they take their social life online, they are learning online, they are they are they are surfing for information online. So I, I I'm not so much um, how should I say I don't see a apocalyptic or doomsday situation. It's just uh, for for me it makes sense. For them, it's a little bit bringing a little bit of mindfulness, like we do into every everyday activity. It's just taking stock of whether um, how am I interacting with technology? Am I swaying one towards the other? For example, uh, you know, if you ask a young person, how do you, how do you act? What do you do on your phone? So most of them say, oh, I do my homework, and uh, you know, I interact with my friends. When the reality might be that they spend three fourths of their time watching videos on YouTube, yeah. but, but, uh, but not, not even adults. I mean, you and me, we probably are not aware of it until we see how I, what our usage is. Sometimes it, it, really, um, it really surprises us. 
This is the kind of insights that we hope to do to bring out to children. What I'd say to parents and, and, and teachers is that uh, first they need, I, I, I'm a parent myself, and then there is some amount of freedom that a, that a young person needs. And it's mm -hmm. clamping down might not necessarily be the best opinion uh, and, and uh, option, sorry, option. Because it, it leads to behaviors where either the child feels left out or, or subjugated in some way, or, and then they, or they find other ways to, to access technology. Yeah. Um, there, 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 nothing, nothing is as good as the parent or the teacher talking to the child and actually discussing it. So no amount of technology, not, not anything that we develop, uh, not anything any technology development company develops, yeah can actually replace that part and having an, uh, having an upfront, honest, uh, open discussion. But no, but no, you know, none of us are there available 24 by 7. And the, the fact is that children are starting their digital lives fairly early. So that there is a very good role for technology to play. So rather than in some cases, particularly in schools, I see a phobia, particularly among teachers of technology and the, they even, and in, in fact, mm -hmm. in some charities I've talked to, they feel very threatened that there's some technology which comes to replace what the, the sort of lessons that they are going to do in schools. But you have to see this piece of technology as an as, as a supplement, as a supplement to go where where you are not there and and to help children when no one's when, when there's no oversight yeah. because. The, this is gentle. It's uh, there, there are not, I'm not just talking about OYT, but in general, what tech is trying to do is, is using different mechanisms to then help the child contextually. Because you know, as a, you, in school, you could teach many things, but if they are not in the context of, of what the child is facing, it will never sink in. With technology, we can make all this education contextual, and that's where the that's where the beauty of technology comes in. So I, I would say. My, so the long story short, I would say nothing replaces their conversation yeah. with their child, but they should not throw away or they should not slight uh, the role that technology can actually play in, in making the whole environment of children safe. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very struck by the, um, so I think it was the University of Wisconsin did a study where they actually pinged people during the day at random times to say, what are you doing? How are you feeling? And what, what that resulted in was people becoming more mindful about what they were doing during the day. Yeah. Um, do you see Oyoti doing similar things? So, um, you know, gentle reminders and saying, hey, what's happening for you right now? Because um, yeah. I know that you've said you, you're going to be checking how people are feeling online and their well-being. So yeah. it's around when... When children, well, not just children, when a person has an awareness of what it is that they're doing, they're then able to make more conscious choices about what yeah. it is they're actually doing. So I'm, I'm hearing that that's the kind of conversation parents can have. Yeah. But then Oyoti can supplement it by saying, and whilst your parents are not around, I'm just going to send you little reminders every now and then just yeah. to check in, see yeah. how you're doing. Um, yeah. An example of that is continuous stream use. <clears throat> so, you know, if you've, if you've, you've got a kid who is, Plowing through the through the phone continuously for a couple of hours, OYT sends a gentle notification. You know, it's bright outside. You might want to take a break. You've been you've been on it at yeah. it for the last two hours. It's sometimes I, I tried it on my own kids, and it's a little bit of a uh, was I there for two hours? Was I online for two hours? And yeah, that yeah. Out to be? 
So it's really, it's really like your Fitbit saying today you did not walk enough or, or something like that. Just getting a little, um, as you said, mindful about your use of technology. Because one, yeah. one thing, you know, we, we can talk about the bulk of people and then you have in extremist cases. So if you talk about the bulk of people, we, we, we are definitely spending more and more time online, but many of us can make that decision and that disconnect when we have to. But, but I believe, uh, and, and from whatever I see, it's easy to be drawn into the in extremist cases, particularly when something is not going all right. Then you find solace in, in, in extreme media. You, early, earlier, we said you find solace in overeating or you know, other kind of intoxications. But now this, this is sort of replacing one of those things because it, actually it's the same, the, the same theory about dopamine, getting likes, uh, you know, engaging, with, even if you have watching something passively. But it is, it, is preventing, it is providing you a temporary engagement from what, you would, from what would otherwise be a, you know, doing, when you, out of keeping you away from what you would mm-hmm. otherwise do. And more and more, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that we have things to be done, things to be. And um, what we are hoping to do is prevent, in the longer term, abuse. And and um, when I say abuse, I mean device abuse, and um, being a slave to your device. Really, you know. So one of the ideas is put down the phone and uh, take take a break for a few days. Uh, we pr- we try to provide. We will try to provide a little bit of a gaming experience around being able to put your device away for some time and then seeing that that has some positive consequences in other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously without reminding them to check how they're feeling. <laughs> on the, you know, the irony of, um, yeah. Yeah, there is there is something around. Um, so so what, yeah, I, I find the term um, social media quite ironic in, in one sense because actually we're social beings. So what yeah. social media provides us is with, this um so without making it academic it's an innate drive to connect yeah. with people people um, yeah which obviously um you know when we were talking before we started the interview it is my passion to to kind of highlight that this is about attachment it's not always about addiction and it's about people trying to communicate so i was just thinking mm. about your terms of um people who are i think the academics would call it outliers so you have this kind of normal distribution curve and the people at either side that there are people who find it really difficult to connect in the real world. So therefore they would be using social media to do that or uh, any other platform. But there is something to be said about actually you need reminding that it's face-to-face connections that can help with um, those dopamine fixes. Because actually mm. that's what happens when, you, when you're in close contact with somebody is you also get the physical connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, as much as we know each other, Deepak, I'm not feeling that we're as connected as we are when we're sat together and, and a coffee. It, it just quite... It's completely different, yeah. 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 And also, if, if you think um, purely from a... And, and this is your realm, really. If you really think from a physical well-being point of view, you know, uh, if you are spending increased number of hours on a daily basis in a closed space indoors and, and with your device... <clears throat> mm it's probably worth reminding that you need to step outside, you need to get some fresh air. You need, so, so these are also equal, equal, I would say equally important needs. And, and in the course, of, now I see, you know, we've, we've been looking at a lot of social media, for example, and, and particularly services like uh, broadcasting services like Periscope, you would be amazed at 
young people sometimes as a as old as eight and nine days on end broadcasting from their bedrooms or from from closed spaces which has me thinking are these the extreme cases uh, in what situation would a child do something like that are they being held in captivity almost it 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 really disturbs me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but but this is on the rise so i'm i'm seeing it might be a consequence of busy parents uh, city living uh, you know whatever but it is definitely something that you see happening more and more and yeah. for me it's a, it's a cry for help really it's it's this kind of it it's it's for these kids as well who need to actualize what's really happening so because the, the only way they they're making sense of their external surroundings is through the screen attachment and um, and there is no other guidance and this is i th- i think there are there are there are more and more cases when i where i think there's such guidance um and we have to perfect the guidance as we get along but this guidance needs to needs, needs to really make the feel make the kid feel empowered and 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 have the ability to to do something else or or to be able to talk about it to someone so so if you, in some cases they really need to talk about it to someone not to a screen yeah yeah and and hence that's where i do my job yeah. um and it is one of the things um so i think what i can say about the children that are streaming periscope wise is within within the research that i've done so far and the research that i'm reading it seems to be uh as as we kind of touched on earlier that there are children who are in uh domestic violence mm. homes they're in homes where like you said busy parenting there are, uh, and and there are homes where children are neglected looked after and that all of these different interactions with cyberspace are all about what's happening for that child in the background so uh, mm. as I, as i said to you that's that's kind of yeah that's what i think we need to be looking at as well as it's not just about how much children interact online it's about what they do the motivations why that might be happening but then also where do they come from because yeah. statistics and data about kind of households and children suggests and i'm thinking of the commissioner's report and work around um attachment and i'm trying not to go academic shows that there's at least 40% and it could be more nowadays of children who don't have this kind of security and security right. so their behaviors are going to be different so in your data set i would expect that 40% of the data will be the extreme mm. behaviors because actually they're they're trying to connect in a different way to the other 60% so that's so there's something yeah. about there's something about actually that's the bit of data that we're missing at the moment okay. and then h- how would we actually interact with those children so um what i do know is that um the way that the way that iot phrases things so obviously we're going to talk about, <laughs> yeah the way the way that we're going to talk about this in the second is how people can find out about iot and so on but actually there is something to be said about this language needs to be um across the board but not just for iot this is what we need to be doing in schools and we need to not be using shaming humiliating punitive kind of language because actually children are just engaging in a behavior yeah yeah that we have need to connect data. in the end yeah. yeah and and actually we're missing the data about why and how to prevent it because we're kind of a bit late to the party in that respect which which is why we as i told you we are sort of abstracting one layer above just looking at the data but to to connect the dots and 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 talk about well-being yeah so the the bigger picture for us is <clears throat> what the child is, whether they are using their overusing their device or they are Uh, using you know posting nasty comments online 
But it's if you if you if you triangulate this information, <clears throat> we'd like to come to a conclusion about how they are feeling, mm. and and if they are not feeling all right, what can we do? What sort of tools can we provide to them? What kind of information do we provide to them? What kind of peer networks do we provide to them? Because a, a, a lot of times, I give you an example of um, of, of a ten year old. Um, in uh, this was in trials, uh, so they. The way they responded, for example, to another 10, 11 year old testimony of how they dealt with bullying was completely different from how they responded to a teacher telling them or a parent telling them how to deal with bullying. Sometimes it's it's just a peer, um, uh, the same age person telling them about how to deal with something, which changes how they engage. And that 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 for them is a useful resource. Yes. A useful resource for them at that time is not their parent telling them not to go online. But it's about another kid telling them how they dealt with bullying. Yes. And, and obviously, this is the science. Children, when they get to around about 10, 11, 12, and they start to hit adolescence, need the opinions of peers rather than parents. And that is a normal brain development process. So that there is mm-hmm. something about the science can underpin why we need to do this, but also... I think when you talked about earlier about the parents, there's, there's what we call in psychotherapy the don't injunction. And, and if you say to a child, don't, it then becomes the thing that they want to do or mm. the forbidden fruit, as we call it. Hence, I think you talked about earlier, this is why people drink underage. This is why people <laughs> smoke underage. This is why, because we say, don't do that. And then a child will think about, well, what, what is that? And curiosity may well lead them down the road of, or perhaps yeah. I'll just try it to see why I shouldn't. So, yeah, it's also a sense of achievement that they just broke the rule. Yeah, yeah, bending the rule. And, and yeah, I, I, I never see it as naughty behavior. I see it as ingenuity. Uh, you know, it's, it's all about clever thinking and, and forward thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never, never naughty. It's about, hang on a minute, what were they trying to achieve? What were they trying to do? So, yeah. Okay, so we are coming towards the end. Uh, so is there anything else you want to um, talk about, Deepak, and also... How do people that are listening to this podcast find out about IRT? We will put um, the website in the show notes and any of the other details that you want in there. Yeah, so <coughs> what I want to say to you and to the audience is actually, so there is a version of IRT online and it's there for, um, it's there for testing and, and trying out. But we, will, we are now integrating a, a number of new inputs uh, including support for bullying, including um, a, a range of features around well-being. Mm-hmm. So by by the end of November, early December, we should have a new version um, online. But but if uh, if there are academics or, or teachers or parents who want to test mm-hmm. out test it out already, um, they could they could send us an email. It's it's on the it's contact at privately.eu. It's on the website, and I could send them an early version to look at to look at the Fabulous. Uh, look at the tech. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So thank you for your time. And thank you to the rest of you listening. Um, and I apologize for the fact I've been uh, trying to stifle a cough all the way through this today. So I will try and edit that out as much as possible. Um, but for now, Deepak, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Kat. Thank you. <laughs>